Alright, turn with me this morning, if you would, to Isaiah chapter 58. That's where we're going to start this morning. We'll be looking at several verses, by the way, this morning. But we'll start in Isaiah chapter 58. Good to be back with you all today here. Daniel, good to have, be back with you. Had a good time of fellowship last week with the uh, Kuwaita Baptist Church. And uh, we appreciate all the kind words and uh, fellowship and hospitality that they extended to us while we were there last weekend. And uh, look forward to days in the future of fellowshipping again. <clears throat> By the way, last week's sermon, uh, that sermons that I preached there, is also on our Facebook page. Uh, you can find that there. Uh, it was we just reshared the live stream from Kuita. So if you want to go back and watch those, if you're watching, you can go back and watch those. And if the Lord so moved you to do so. <coughs> Isaiah chapter 58, let's go to the Lord in prayer and we'll begin this morning. Father, we come to you this morning and we do desperately need your presence with us this morning so that we might worship uh, you and that we might be able to preach and we might be able to hear, be able to be taught. All this comes by the Spirit's power among us, Lord, and we just ask that you'll be with us, Lord. We're frail people. We get tired. We get sleepy. We get worn out. We get frustrated. We get bewildered. We get our minds full of other things, carnal things as well as spiritual, but mostly of the natural things, Lord, and so often we are uh, ill-prepared for this morning, and today may be no different, and Lord, we're just uh, in desperate need of your help today, and we ask, Lord, that you would come, that you would speak to us, that you would minister among us. Lord, we pray that the Word of God might be opened before us, and that it might be preached correctly in truth. Father, we pray that those that are listening will be edified. We pray that the Spirit will teach them, they'll open up understanding. Lord, we just are so grateful to the salvation that we have through the Lord Jesus Christ. We're so grateful for forgiveness of sins and for redemption. We're grateful for all that we have been given in faith and repentance. All these things come by your hand and we're beholden to you. Because without you, without your work in us, we could never have accomplished anything on our own. We would never have come to you. We could never even believe upon you. Uh, and Lord, we are uh, appreciative of the gift that comes in salvation. So Father, we thank you for all that you are and all that you will do. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. <clears throat> we uh, often talk here about sovereign grace. We have even named our church Sovereign Grace, Sovereign Grace Baptist Church. And the reason we chose that name in the beginning is because, uh, for one, we claim to be Baptist, not because we belong to any particular denomination, but because we believe in that continuing ministry that began with John, uh, in that we are preaching the gospel to uh, the people of God, and uh baptizing them uh, and teaching them all things whatsoever 
Christ has told us to teach them. John began that ministry. A lot of people disagree that John's ministry was apart and separate from the New Testament ministry, but the Bible says that the gospel began with John. Uh, the preaching of the gospel began with John. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, to believe on him, uh, to look to him. Matter of fact, whenever Jesus was gaining more followers than John, and John had a pretty good following of people by the time Jesus came on the scene, uh, John, seeing that all these people were starting to follow Jesus, that were following him, the Pharisees was even kind of goading him a little bit, saying, you know, what do you think about that? All your followers are following John. And John knew that that was the plan to begin with. He said, I must decrease and he must increase. He said, the only thing that we have has been given to us. So the ministry that has been given was given to us. And uh, he, he knew that it wasn't his place to gain followers, but it was to point people to Christ to tell and declare of the work of Christ. And uh, that is what we've been called to do. So we call ourselves Baptists as it pertains to the ministry of the gospel, not because we're of a particular denomination. Uh, But the rest of our name, Sovereign Grace, we chose that because we believe that Sovereign Grace is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The, The Sovereign Grace is not just grace, it's God's sovereign grace. God bestows grace upon whom he will. He told Pharaoh, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. God's not beholden to give anybody grace. Uh, Grace is something that's not merited. So God doesn't owe anybody grace. And he gives it to whomever he wants. And the modern mindset about grace is that God is love and God is gracious and God has sent his son to die for everybody. Therefore, grace is extended to anybody who will choose it. If you'll choose and take it, if you'll receive his grace, if you'll accept his grace, then it's yours for the taking. But that again is not grace. If something uh, is offered freely to all, and then it is up to you to choose to take it or to not take it, then that's really not a gift. Uh, people try to make that a gift, an illustration a gift. Well, I can buy a gift for you, but if you don't take it for yourself, then it's not a gift. No, it's still a gift. It's a gift. If I give you that gift, you have that gift. The only thing is, is people perceive that man has the ability to accept and to receive the gift of God. And they can't. They assume that the gift is there for their taking, but that's not what the Bible teaches. The gift of God is given and bestowed upon someone, and when it is given to somebody, it is effectuated, effectual. It is it is something that is what we call an effectual call of God. It is an effectual gift of God. It is something, and when I say effectual, it means it's something that is irresistible. You can't change that. Okay, and I've used the illustration before to you guys. It's kind of a crude illustration that I can come over here and I can punch Zach right in the eye and give Zach a black eye. And we could say that Zach received a black eye from the preacher. Okay? 
Did Zach do anything to get that? Well, he probably mouthed off or something. That's probably the, the motivation of why it's suckered him in the eye. But anyway, no, Zach didn't reach out and grab my hand and pull it to him. Okay, Zach didn't run himself into my hand. I give Zach that gift of a black eye, and he received that gift of a black eye, but that thing was completely and totally uh, uh, irresistible. He couldn't stop it. He couldn't. He couldn't do anything about it. He received it because I gave it, and whenever I give it, it happens. Okay. Now, like I said, that's a crude illustration, but the point is this: that whenever God gives gifts, the gifts and the callings of God are not uh, are, are not returned, are not are not repented of. They're not. Uh, they're not. Uh, 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 rejected. They can't be turned away. They are effectual. God gives gifts irresistibly. Now, some people, and I'll be one of them, I hated the doctrine of irresistible grace. I used to hate that doctrine because I had a misconception of what that doctrine was. I thought the doctrine of irresistible grace was God forced salvation upon people who didn't want it. God dragged people kicking and screaming uh, to salvation against their wills. Okay? Now, <clears throat> that is a misnomer, but there is some truth in that. God does drag us uh, to himself. The Bible says that no man comes to the Son unless the Father draws him. That word draw, actually, in Greek, means to drag. Uh... You have to be brought. You you don't come on your own. You have to be brought. Uh, it is true that we come against our wills because the Bible teaches, as we'll see this morning, that nobody ever will come. They will never want to come. And so God does have to bring us against our wills. But the thing is, brethren, is he does something to the child of grace so that what is natural to them, which is being enemies of God, hating God, rejecting the gospel, rejecting the work of the Holy Spirit, rejecting all these things, he now, as the Bible says, causes them to be willing in the day of his power. He changes their inside. He gives them new life. He gives them spiritual life, so that now they have the capacity to be able to receive the spiritual things of God and to see, oh, wait a minute, I am in need of salvation. Wait a minute, I cannot provide a righteousness of my own. Wait a minute, I do see Christ has died for me and that I will trust in that. See, before Christ gives us that life, then we would continually resist the Holy Spirit. We would continually reject. We will continually not will to come. So the doctrine of irresistible grace, the fact that God gives us that grace to be able to know and to be able to understand and be able to receive and believe and to repent and to turn and to come to Him, is the very gift of grace Himself. He gives that grace of belief, that grace of faith, that grace of repentance to us that we could have never done in our natural man's self. Okay, We could never do that. So that being given to us is something we didn't ask for. We weren't even searching for it. 
God give it to us, despite us, give it to us sovereignly. He chose to give mercy on whom he would give mercy, compassion on whom he would give passion, compassion. He give faith to whom he would give faith. He give repentance on to whom he would give repentance. And whenever he gives that to them, that spiritual life isn't something that someone just says, whoa, wait a minute, no, 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 I don't want that. No, I don't want that. Take that back away. I don't want that. Why? Because whenever you have spiritual life, now you're a different person. You're a new creation. Now, we still have the old nature. We still have our nature that is in Adam, the flesh that still is at enmity with God. But now we have the Spirit of God in us that is directing our thoughts, that is directing our pathways, and that is um, that is giving us the desire for spiritual things. And therefore, uh, whenever we have that in us, we recognize and we realize that this is the mercy of God. God has given us something that we never could have obtained or gotten on our own or done on our own. And therefore, we rejoice in that. We worship Him because of what He has done for that. So, sovereign grace is God sovereignly. By his choice, not by your choice, by your decision, by your choosing, by your asking, because no one would come, choose, ask, think, will, want to, whatever. Nobody would ever do that apart from God doing an internal work spiritually to them before they would ever even do that. And so, sovereign grace is God sovereignly, by his choice, Bestowing grace on whom he chooses. And so the question, why do we speak so much about sovereign grace? Or why do we call our church sovereign grace? Why do we believe the gospel is all about sovereign grace? Is because if it wasn't for sovereign grace, there would be nobody saved. And we're not just talking about grace. Everybody talks about grace. Every church on all these blocks in Joplin you know, that, that are there, they talk about God's grace. They sing about God's grace. They even name their church. There's a church just a few blocks from us right here named Grace Baptist Church. But the grace they preach is a cheap grace, a grace that does not, cannot, will not be sovereign. It's a grace that is for you to choose to take, but it is not a grace that saves. It's not a saving grace. It's a mythological grace. It's a grace that they say that God has given to everybody, but now we must choose. We must accept it. We can reject God's grace. We can turn away from God's grace and not respond to God's grace. Whenever the Bible clearly says that um, the child of grace, whenever given spiritual life, they will come to him. So, why do we need sovereign grace? That's the question for the day. Why do we preach it? Why is it good news? See, to some it's not good news. The Bible says that to some people that the preaching of the gospel is foolishness of them. To some people, uh, the Bible says that the gospel is something that they do not like. It's a savor of death unto death. And they don't like it. So why do we preach something that we know that some people are going to think, hey, this is not good. We don't like that. 
that are going to become very adamant. I've encountered people that just get very mad whenever you begin to preach these things and teach these things, hold to these things, and when you disagree with them about their free will worship, and whenever you whenever you talk about Jesus dying for everybody, but not everybody being saved that he dies for, whenever you start talking about those things, they become very, very uh, angry, even to the point where they may say, you know, I would, I would never serve that God that makes you do that, or that forces you to be saved, or whatever the case that they think it is. Why do we need sovereign grace? Well, because if we don't have sovereign grace, our mindset will always be like that. I don't want that kind of God. I don't want that Jesus. I don't want that gospel. But that's the gospel of the Bible. That's the God of the Bible. That's the Jesus of the Bible. And so we need sovereign grace because man, in and of himself, is spiritually dead and will never come to Christ. Now, there's some things that the Bible teaches us about that and why we need sovereign grace. We're going to begin looking this morning in Isaiah chapter, uh, did I say 58? I meant 55. Isaiah 55. <clears throat> Look with me at verse 8. It says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, Neither are your ways my ways. Now that's God saying that my ways and your ways are two different ways. He says, For as the the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Okay? So the first reason we need sovereign grace is because we cannot think We do not have the thoughts like God has. We can't think like God thinks. Matter of fact, the Bible says uh, over in, uh, you don't have to turn there, I'm going to turn real quick just so I don't misquote it, Um, over into uh, 2 Corinthians. In chapter 2, the Bible says... Verse 9, but as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. See, so we, it has never even entered into our thoughts what God has done for man in giving his son, in doing what he has done, in creation even. Now God has given creation as a, as a proof that he exists. The, the, the uh, the uh, preaching of nature attests to who God is, that there is a God and he should be worshipped. But don't mistake that the giving of nature to tell us that there is a God is the same as the gospel being declared that you are saved in Christ Jesus. Nature doesn't declare that. Nature declares that God is who he is, that he is powerful, that he is sovereign, and that he exists, and that all men have that light given to them because God says he has given it to every man. He's given to every man. That's why I say there is no such thing as atheist. They claim to be atheist, but there is no such thing as atheist because God has put it in the heart of every man to know that God exists. That there is a God, that there is something higher than them, there's something out there, something to be worshipped, something to be bowed down to. And God has done that, and in in uh, 
in Romans we learn that that's through nature. We through everything that we see through the uh, through the through the uh, uh, firmament through the creation. All things point that there is a God. Now that's not to be confused with the gospel, though. Only the elect of God can hear and know and believe and understand the gospel. And the gospel is only for them. It's only for the people that God has chosen from all eternity. They're the only ones to whom that good news is is, is for. But here we see eyes not seen, ears not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the th- things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Now, it's not for them who will love him. If you love me, then you'll know these things. It's for them who love him. The only ones who love him are the ones that God has shown these things to. We love him because he first loved us. Verse 10, it says, but God hath revealed them. See there? So if, if we're to know these things, God has to reveal them to us. It has to be revealed by God. But God hath revealed them unto us by his spirit. He didn't reveal them to us by apologetics. He didn't, you know, everybody's out there, uh, we was talking about this yesterday at men's breakfast. Um, <clears throat> everybody's out there wanting to do apologetics because they think if they get just the right uh, argument that they can convince somebody of truth. You cannot convince anybody of truth no matter how well your argument is formed, no matter how many facts you can uh, coalesce together, no matter how pointed notes, bullet points, no matter how many graphics, no matter how many animations you might make, no matter what you do, no matter how much preaching, teaching, analyzing, commentizing, any of those things, no matter how much you do on that, truth cannot be revealed to anybody unless the Spirit reveals it. Someone says, well, obviously the Spirit will always reveal the, the Word of God. If you take the Word of God and use the Word of God, the Spirit's always going to reveal that to you when, when you use it. No, sir. No, man. Jesus preached for three and a half years to religious people for three and a half years. with the word. He is the Word of God. The very words of God were being spoken to them from God himself. And what does the Bible say? They didn't believe. They didn't believe. Was it because God wasn't powerful enough to cause them to believe? No, that wasn't it. Was it because they had the free will and God didn't want to transgress their free will so he didn't do anything about it? That's not it either. We'll see that the only reason they didn't believe was because they were not God's sheep. (laughs) God's sheep are the only ones that's given to believe. And so we see here the only ones who are revealed these things are the ones that the Spirit reveals it to. It's not the ministries of men that reveal truth. The ministries of men, why are we here today to preach? Why am I here preaching to you today? It's to bring comfort to you. Why am I here today preaching to you? It is to confirm the things that the Spirit, if you're a child of grace and has been given to know these things, that is already confirming truth to your heart. The Holy Spirit has already brought truth into your heart, but yet the outward call of the gospel, the outward preaching of the gospel, is confirming to you this truth. 
I can't teach anybody truth. The Spirit is the one who reveals these things. But God hath revealed them unto us by His Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. Now, why did I come to this verse? Well, for one, it ties into what we're talking about. Man cannot think like God thinks. Okay, right now we think that we can come to God anytime we want to come to God and make a decision for God. We think that it's a choice that God has given to us to either accept Him or to reject Him. That's how the natural man thinks. The natural man thinks that if he buys into religion and begins to, I want to become a Christian. Okay, well how do I do that? Well, you need to repent from your sin and you need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Ask Him to forgive you of your sins and if you ask Him into your heart, He'll come in. And now that he's come in, now you need to study your Bible, and you need to go to church, and you need to follow God's Word and obey the commandments, and you need to get in and start serving the Lord. Doing all these things to serve the Lord. Well, that's all religious things that we do. And, and I'm not saying that some of those things aren't important and that we ought, ought to be doing those. We'll want to be doing those if we're a Christian. But brethren, that is not how someone gets saved, and that is not how someone's mind is changed our thoughts are we are the ones who have to respond to God so that God will give us the gift. We are the ones who thinks that by our own righteousness, God becomes pleased and says, all right, you've trusted in me, you've asked me to come into your heart, you've believed on me, you've asked me to forgive you, now I'm going to do it. It was there for you taking all along, but I was just waiting on you to give it to me, that's how we think. That's not how God thinks. God thinks, I already know the good that I have for you. I already know the blessings that I want to give to you. I already know from the foundation of the world that I love you with an everlasting love and that all the spiritual blessings are yea and amen in Christ and they are yours before the foundation of the world. I, I give them to you. Known unto God. Are all his people, all his works, all his sheep, everything that pertains to your salvation was already known by God. So see, the mind of God and our mind is different. We are thinking that God is waiting on us to respond to do something so that he can give us something, and that's not the truth. The, the truth is this, we would never respond and come to God if God would never exert himself on us for, in the first place. Verse 10, But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit, for the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of man, save the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man. See, we don't know the things of God. We don't know the thoughts of God. We don't know how God works. We don't know all these things. And listen, brother, we're never going to find that out fully. And we'll see that in just a minute. But it says, No man knoweth these things but the Spirit of God. And it says, Now... We have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. See, before it said, No eye have seen, no ear have heard, nor is it entered into the heart of man, the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Now, those who have the spirit, when the spirit is given to us, now we can know. See, before we couldn't know the things that God had prepared for us. From the beginning. Had prepared. What does prepare mean? If you prepare something, what does that mean? 
let's just let's just use an illustration of our family here. Every Sunday we have our services here at our house. So what is done to prepare for people to come to our church services at our house? What do we do? We get ready. We clean the house. We tidy up. We straighten up. We get everything out. We get the books set out. We, you know, get the preparations made, right? We To prepare, you make the preparations. You pre, meaning before. You do these things before. Well, when did God prepare these things for us? It says here, we now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit of God... That we might know the things that God has, that God, that, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. What were the things that were prepared that verse 9 said? The things that are freely given to us. Which things also we speak. Now we're talking about speaking these things. We've been given these things. We've been given to know the things of God. But when? Because the Bible says that we don't know. No man knows. No one has the mind of God. But now it says we have the Spirit of God who does know the mind of God and the Spirit of God is in us and the Spirit of God is revealing things to us and telling us the mind of God. And what is he telling us? That there were things prepared for you that are freely given to you, not things that you earn. Not things that you work for. Not things that you try to do. Not things that you have to do. It's freely given to you. And now he says, now that it's been made known to us, now we speak these things. We declare these things. That's exactly what 2 Timothy 2, 9 and 10 talk about. We have a salvation that has been done from from eternity, but now, by the manifesting of Jesus Christ, The gospel now brings that life and immortality to light. The gospel is to expose and to preach and to tell us the things that's already been done. Not to cause it to be done, but to tell us what has already been done. Now we preach the things that's been revealed to us that why we are what we are. Which things also we speak, not in the words of man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. So here again, the things that we teach is not by the wisdom of men teaching us things. Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth. If you're to know anything of the truth, that, and if I'm to speak and preach anything of the truth, it's only because the Spirit has first taught us that whether it's teaching you that in your heart and you receiving that as truth, or me as I preach it, if I'm preaching the truth, it's because the Spirit of God has revealed that truth to me and caused me to know that that is truth, caused me to preach that as truth, and therefore the only truth that you hear is the truth that comes from God. It isn't because Mike Smith studied enough. It isn't because somebody... Else, I didn't, but somebody else went to seminary to learn all these things so that they could tell you what the truth... If I'm going to know the truth, I better go and learn it from somebody. You don't learn truth from anybody but the Spirit of God. That's why He was given to us. That's exactly why He was given to us. That we might know. 
that we might learn, that we might understand, then that we might speak these things. So man doesn't have the ability because his ways, and that's talking about natural man, man cannot because his thoughts are higher than our thoughts, his ways are not our ways. We think we do it by our own achievement. God says, no, no, no. It's a free gift. It's grace. It's not works. They're always opposed. Grace, it's either grace or it's not grace. It's either works or it's not works. Or not grace. If it's works, it's not grace. If it's grace, it's not works. There's not a mixture of grace and works. People want to say that there is grace and works. The Catholics teach grace and works. That there is grace and there is works. And both of them are intended and both of them are needed for salvation. But that's not what the Bible teaches. It's by grace alone. Paul made it very clear. If it's no more by grace, then it's it's works. God doesn't save by works. He saves only by grace. But it says there, verse 14, the natural man receives not these things. And I'm going to stop there because I'm, I plan on getting back to that here in just a few minutes. But in Isaiah 58, we see that man cannot think uh, the things of God. Turn to Psalm chapter 50. Psalms verse 50. And look with me if you would. <coughs> down to 21. It says, These things hast thou done, and I kept silent. Thou thoughtest that I was altogether such as one as thyself, but I will reprove thee and set them in order before thine eyes. See, the problem is, is we think that God's like we are. We try to pull God down to our level. We try to make God to be like us. To function like us. To act like us. To react like us. To be like us. To be under his own law. He's not under his own law. God doesn't have any law for himself. God gives law to men. Law was made for man. Not for God. And so God is not like man. But yet we think that God is like one of us. Matter of fact, Romans 1, where I was quoting a while ago about the creation, also says the very same thing. Because we try to make, that we worship the creation more than we do the creator. We try to make God uh, into our uh, own image. Let me read that to you real quick. It says... For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness because that which may be known of God is manifest in them for God hath shown it unto them. That's what I was talking about a while ago. For the invisible things of, uh, of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. So that's what I'm saying. This is not the gospel. This is his eternal power and Godhead. There is a God. He is powerful. He is above all things, and he created all things. And that no man is without excuse knowing that, because nature is preaching loudly to them, and they know that. He's been given them to know that. 
But in verse 21 says, Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were they thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was dark, and professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man. So they changed the glory of God uh, into, or the uncorruptible God into that that looks like corruptible man. Uh, so that is what we try to do. We try to bring God down to our own image. Why is that? Because we don't know and understand the things of God. In Job chapter 11, we see, or, yeah, Job chapter 11. Look with me, if you would, at verse 7. The Bible says, Canst thou by searching find out God? Canst thou find out the Almighty unto perfection? It is as high as the heaven. What canst thou do deeper than hell? What canst thou know? So we see that the um, understanding of God is just not in man. We cannot do it. We can't ever figure it out. And I will say, even as, as people who are born from above, we still, on this side of heaven, are not going to be able to fully find out God by searching. God has given us things and revealed things about himself to us, but he has not revealed everything. The secret things of God are his. The things that are revealed are ours, the Bible says. Okay, so there are secret things about God that we still don't know, that we probably won't know until we get to heaven. Okay? And a lot of people think that they have figured God completely out. We've talked about this before whenever we talked about the Godhead and how the Father, the Word, the Holy Ghost, and Christ Jesus uh, being the fullness of all that Godhead, being united as one God, uh, revealed as three uh, witnesses. It's hard to understand that. How God reveals Himself as three witnesses, as, as three reports, as three record bearers, but yet is only one God. And how that that one God is manifested in the flesh, who the Bible says that the heaven and the heavens can't contain. He's, he's, he's immeasurable. He's omnipresent, the Bible says. But how he can be contained in a body. How he can be in a body on earth, and also be in heaven at the same time. It's amazing to know that. It's a mystery. It's uh, it's beyond our understanding. But yet we only can believe the things that we are given and revealed because God has revealed them unto us. But it says here, the other things of God can't be found out. God cannot be found out to perfection, to completion. We're never going to find out. God's full who He is until God reveals those to us, and that's probably not going to be in this lifetime because our natural minds cannot comprehend those things. The spiritual mind is revealing those things to us as God sees fit to give it to us. God reveals things to some people faster than others. I know some uh, men who are young preachers who God has not saved, I mean, not uh, converted, but just a short while ago, already understanding deep theological things, the deep understandings of the scriptures that the Lord took, you know, five, ten, eight years, ten years, twelve years, fifteen years 
steal things that I don't know and revealing them unto them quicker than he is me. You know, God doesn't deposit all knowledge into us at one time. And we all of a sudden, just because we have the Spirit, can read the Word of God and immediately know what it says. The Spirit has to reveal that. That's why we grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. It's a growing thing that we grow in our understanding of the things of God and who Christ is and how He works and how He's uh, administering the kingdom. Okay? So... Why do we need sovereign grace? Well, because we can't know God. We can't think like God. We can't understand God. We can't do the spiritual things that God requires for us to do. Or what people say we have to do. Let's turn uh, back to uh, the New Testament, to uh, John chapter 3. Very familiar passage to us. What's the famous passage in John chapter 3? John 3.16. Who's Jesus talking to in John 3.16? Well, he is talking to the elect, but what person is Jesus conversing with in the passage? You know? Nicodemus. Nicodemus. Not Nicodemus. I used to call him when I was a little kid. Nicodemus. It's Nicodemus. Old Nick. John chapter 3. Uh, look, if you would, with me at verse 3. It says, Jesus answered and said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So you see, there's an inability there. Cannot. Man cannot see the spiritual kingdom of God or the things of the spiritual kingdom of God, unless he is born again. So therefore, not everybody can see these things. The only people that can see these things are the people that are born of God. Now, we just said, we don't have the mind of God. We don't have the understanding of God. We don't fully know God. Okay? We don't have all that understanding. Why? Because the natural man cannot see these things. The natural man cannot understand these things. Why? Because one, we don't have the mind of Christ. We don't have God's Spirit in us, the natural man, until we are born from above. Here's what Jesus is talking about. You must be born again. Why do you have to be born again? Because if you're not born again, then what we just talked about, we can't have the mind of God. We can't think the things of God. We can't understand God as the Spirit reveals them again and hear the spiritual things of God of His kingdom, of, of what's going on among His people. The kingdom of God is His people. The elect of God makes up the kingdom of God. We can't understand how this kingdom works. Number one in the king, what, what do you find in a kingdom? Number one, what do you find in a kingdom? In every kingdom, there's a throne. What does that represent? What does the throne always represent? Someone's in charge. Someone in power, right? Who's on the throne in every kingdom? A king. A king. So a kingdom always presupposes a king. 
In a kingdom there is a king. In the kingdom there are servants. In the kingdom there is a king. There are servants. And in that kingdom there are laws by which that kingdom operates. Christ has a kingdom. He said that kingdom is not of this world. And a lot of people say, well, it's not of this world, so therefore it's not in this world. Well, that's not what Jesus said. Jesus just said it's not a kingdom of this world. But that kingdom definitely is in this world. That kingdom is within the hearts of every elect child of God. The Bible says that we as the elect are not of the world, but we are in the world. So we are here though, right? And I've had this discussion with many people. They say, well, you you keep saying that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is something that happens on down the road because the kingdom comes down out of heaven and the kingdom is uh, at the end of the age because Jesus said his kingdom is not of this world. Kingdom is of the new heaven and the new earth. It's not of this world. It comes down out of heaven. Brother Jesus said, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is within you. Jesus said all that, but whenever he said the kingdom is not of this world, he didn't say that it was not in the world. He said it was not of the world. Just as Jesus said, I'm not of this world. I came down from heaven. Jesus didn't get his existence from this world. He got it from heaven. The child of grace, that spirit that comes to live within us, that new creation is from above, the Bible says. It's not of this world. It's of his. And it comes down into this world. The spirit of God comes down into this world, although it's not of this world. Christ was not of this world. Therefore, we see that Jesus is saying here, nobody can see the workings, the king, the kingdom, the people of God, the workings of God, the things of God. That's what he's saying here. He cannot see how the kingdom works unless you're born again. He said, Nicodemus said unto him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb? So Nicodemus automatically went to the natural again. The natural mind thinks in natural ways. I mentioned that to Koita last week. We always need to get past the natural, the physical, the letter, and look at the spiritual. Look at the spiritual things. What's the spiritual teaching behind this? What is it teaching us about the true reality of things, not the literal Things, not the physical things, not the, not the type and foreshadow. See, old Nick wants to go back to the natural man and say, well, what are you talking about? How can a man climb back up into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus says, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. So here we see that not only can we not see and perceive the things of the uh, kingdom of God, We cannot enter into the kingdom of God unless we're born again. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. He didn't say you've got to get born again. He said you must be born again. You must be born again to see and to enter into the kingdom of God. 
He says, The wind bloweth where it listed, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth. And he says, So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. See, we cannot see and understand spiritual things until we're born of the Spirit. Not born from your mom. Therefore, just because you're a Christian, your mom or dad's a Christian, doesn't mean you're going to be a Christian. Just because your mom and dad may be born again, doesn't mean you're born again. Just because you were born of Christian parents doesn't automatically mean that you're a Christian or will become a Christian. <clears throat> you have to be born spiritually. There has to be a spiritual birth. That means that apart from a spiritual birth first, everything spiritual cannot be known and understood and seen. We cannot know God. We cannot understand God. We cannot understand spiritual things. All these things are foreign to us. That's why we need sovereign grace. Sovereign grace gives us the new birth. Sovereign grace births us from above, not asking us, do you want to be born again? Sovereign grace doesn't say, would you accept me into your heart? Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart today. That's not how sovereign grace works. Sovereign grace, in fact, in Ezekiel says, and I will take out of your heart the heart of flesh and put in, or excuse me, the heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. Now that flesh is not meaning the flesh of the sinful flesh, but a heart of flesh, meaning that I'll take out your dead, cold, spiritual heart that's dead and put in one that's alive to God. You have a heart that's dead to God, that cannot know God, cannot know the things of God, cannot know the things of the Spirit of the Kingdom of God. I'll put in a heart that does. Well, thank you, Lord. Because if you wouldn't have done that, I would have went around my whole entire life doing religious things, thinking that I'm getting on with God, and I never would have known had you not done that. But see, the fact remains is even the natural man that cannot know the things of God, cannot understand what God is about, cannot understand the spiritual kingdom of God, see the spiritual kingdom of God. The natural man don't even know his own heart. He doesn't even know his own heart. That's why we need sovereign grace because our heart tells us things that is not what the Spirit tells us. Look if you would there at uh, uh, Jeremiah chapter 17. Jeremiah chapter 17. And look with me, if you would, verse 9. It says, The heart is deceitful above all, and desperately wicked. Who can know it? We look at this world and we see the world system. We see Hollywood. And how corrupt and evil they are, and they truly are evil. We see the political stuff that's going on in, in the world uh, in the world today, and listen, it's purely evil. We see all the stuff that's going on behind the scenes that everybody knows is going on, but everyone wants to act like it doesn't go on when it uh, involves uh, all the. Uh, 
uh, occult, the Luciferian stuff, and how evil that is. It's all evil. And here the Bible is saying that our heart is deceitful above all. Why is all that evil happening? Because our hearts are deceitful and wicked. Our hearts are evil. It's deceitful above all. There is no deceit worse than your own heart. Listen, Hollywood's out there trying to tell you to believe this. The news is trying to tell you to believe this. Politics is trying to tell you to believe this. Your peer pressure in your friend circles are trying to tell you, believe this. The devil is trying to deceive you and to tell you this. But here the Bible says your own heart is deceitful above all of those things. Your heart is deceitful above all. And it says and desperately wicked. So that means it is desperately trying to tell you that you're not wicked. It's desperately wicked. It knows that it's wicked. But it's deceiving you to tell you you're not. How does it do that? Well, I'm alright. I'm a good person. I don't do bad things. You know, I grew up in a Christian household. I've never done all those things that all the other people have done. You know, I come to church all the time. I'm not as bad as so-and-so. I don't cuss. I don't drink. I don't chew. I don't know what the girls are doing. I don't do all those things. That's what the heart's doing. It's being deceitful. It's telling you, you're not as wicked as you think you are. But the Bible says it is deceitful and is wicked above all things. And who can know it? Meaning, whenever he asks that question, who can know it, that means none of us can know it. The reason he is asking that is a rhetorical question. Nobody can know the depth of our heart's deceitful wickedness because we are blind to spiritual things. It's when the Spirit of God is given to us that we come to understand and know the depths of our deceitful, wicked heart. We can't know that. Why do we need sovereign grace? Because our deceitful, wicked heart will continue to tell us that we're okay when the Bible says you're not okay. When our deceitful, wicked heart says, well, you're keeping most of God's commands, so God's going to be okay. He's going to let you in because your good outweighs your bad. Whenever the Spirit of God says that the soul that sinneth, it will surely die, that no man has kept God's law and will be justified by keeping God's law because no one has and can keep it. That you are crushed and condemned by the law of God. The Spirit tells us that. The natural man says, hey, you're okay. Why do we need sovereign grace? Because God takes the heart that's deceitfully wicked and gives us the one that tells us, you are deceitfully wicked before God. Therefore, we cry out for salvation. Therefore, we come to Christ. Why? Because now we don't have a heart that is saying, well, you're all right. Now we have a heart that says, I know the depth of my sin. I know how corrupt I am. I know that in me dwelleth no good thing, O wretched man that I am. Therefore, I will cry unto God, who is my salvation. 
can't know God and can't understand Him. We can't know the kingdom of God, the spiritual things that are out there. We can't even know the depth of the depravity of our own hearts. We can't walk the walk. We can't do the things that, you know, everyone talks about walking in the will of God. We can't even do those things. While you're in Jeremiah there, turn back to chapter 10. Jeremiah chapter 10. In verse 23, scriptures say, Oh Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. Now we've talked about this when we've talked about God's predestination. Okay, God's predestined everything, even how every action that we take. Why? Because it is not in, it's not uh, in man that walketh to direct his steps. <coughs> I'm walking alone, but it's not me who's walking me. It's God that's walking me. All right? He's directing my steps. You guys ever seen a marionette? You know what a marionette is? A puppet? It's on strings. You see them walking that thing. Those little puppets will be sitting there, and their old legs will be walking up and down, and they'll be looking like they're walking. They're all walking, but it's not them that's walking them. Who's walking them? The puppeteer. The guy that's controlling them. You say, well, preacher, are you saying that we're puppets? Well, the biblical term is, is we're clay. But if you want to use puppet, that's just fine too. God is directing our steps. Now, that's not me. That's not John Calvin or John Gill or whoever else theologian. That's not the sovereign grace theological system that says that. That's what God's word. What? Read it with me. Oh, Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. We don't have any inkling of the clue and the path to take. We can't figure it out. We can't devise it. We can't plan it out. Listen, you can plan your step. Everybody, how many times have you seen on TV? And I'm kind of getting off track again. How many times on TV have you seen somebody talk about, I've got a five-year plan? This is what I plan in five years. I plan to get this done and this done and this done and this done. And then once all that's done, then I plan on getting married and settling down and having a family. And we're going to have this many kids and blah, 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 blah. And then we've got the whole, we've got a whole life planned out. What do they teach you in government schools? You got to have a plan. Got to be ready. Whenever you start becoming a, a, a sophomore, a junior, a senior, what do they start doing? You need to start planning ahead. What are you going to do with your future? You need to go to college. You need to go to college. You need to go to college. Listen, college doesn't hardly help nobody anymore nowadays anyway. Not sure if it ever did, but it doesn't help. Why? Because most of the time you go to college, all you're getting is indoctrinated by a bunch of junk. That's a rant all to itself. But we have these plans. They tell you, you need to figure out what you're going to do. You need to find out what college you're going to. You need to figure out what you're going to plan to be whenever you grow up and get big. You need to plan all this stuff out and start moving towards it. Okay? Well, the Bible says the man, the way of man is not in himself. We can choose that all day long, but that doesn't mean that's the way that we're going. Because it's God that walketh to direct our steps, not us. So if we can't know our own heart because it's deceitfully wicked and telling us one way and we can't even change our way and where we go, then we're beholden to somebody else to, to guide us. 
we're beholden to someone else to walk us down that path that, that needs to go that we need to go. <clears throat> Look at Proverbs chapter fourteen. Verse 12. It says, There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. See, we can't know our own ways, our own paths in the natural man. There's a way that seems right. To many, the way that seems right is to become a Christian and to live a Christian life. Follow the Christian principles. And if you follow those Christian principles and do those things, then you're going to stay right with God and be right with God. And God's going to be happy with you if you do that. But if you don't, then God's not going to be. Now, He's not going to cause you to lose your salvation because that's secure. You can never lose your salvation. Now, you can't ever... God can't force that salvation on you, but once you become saved... God can't, God will, will force you to keep it. You know, I always thought that was kind of funny. I used, I used to believe that God never forces salvation on anybody, but once I'm saved, I'm always saved. I can't lose my salvation because God will never let me go. So God doesn't force salvation on you, but He forces you to stay saved. He forces you to stay. Okay, so what's the difference? See, what are you trying to get God out of whenever you're saying it has to be a choice and then once you make that choice, now you don't have a choice to change your mind? I can't change my mind say, you know, I trusted Christ, but you know what? I, I changed my mind. I think I'd rather just go back into believing what I want to believe. You see the inconsistency of that? People just picking and choosing what they want to fit in. See, they want, to, they want to be in control of how they get saved by my choice, by my free will. But once they say that, then they want to say, well, I ain't never going to lose that salvation because God won't let, ever let me leave it. So now it's just, there's nothing that I have to do. There's nothing in me that... God's just going to keep me and He's going to cause me to do this and cause me to do that. He's going to convict me of sin. He's going to keep me from wandering away. He's going to chastise me. He's going to do all these things, which God surely does. But see, they're all right in accepting that because they don't want to think that they could ever be lost. But they want to be in control of when and where and how they become saved. See, it's still all about them having control of all things and have it in their way. <clears throat> but see, we can't direct our own steps, we can't direct our own paths, we're not ever going to come to a place where we're going to say, well, you know, well, I'll get saved, but I'm just going to wait till I get, you know, sow my wild oats. Once I sow all my wild oats, then I'll sow down and become a Christian. That's not how it works, brethren. The natural man cannot do all these things Turn with me, if you would, to Galatians chapter 3. We'll, we'll read this and then we'll stop for today and we'll conclude this more with the next week. <clears throat> Galatians chapter 3. 
like I said, some will say, well, I've just changed my path. I'll just change, you know, I'll change what I'm doing. I'll quit going to the bars. I'll quit going to the, to the brothels. I'll quit going to, uh, uh, all the things that, uh, are thought of as evil. And then I will, uh, start going to all the places that are right. I'll start obeying Jesus. I'll start following his laws to the best of my ability. Well, brethren, the other thing that the natural man cannot do is he cannot ever escape the condemnation that comes from the law. In Galatians chapter 3, and I know we just went through Galatians not too long ago, and hopefully you haven't forgot what we learned there, but look if you would in verse 10. It says, For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. See, that's what I was talking about earlier. <clears throat> is you think you can change your mind and then start doing good things? Well, the curse of God still abides <clears throat> on you if you change your mind and if you even could do everything right from now on and follow every law of God from now on once you change your mind. <clears throat> because the curse of the law is that you have already broken the law. Well, I'm going to change my mind. I'm going to keep on going and doing it. But what about all the law-breaking you did before? Something's got to happen with that. Well, Jesus took care of all of that. So now you're going to keep yourself right by keeping the law? Because if so, you've got to continue in that and keep it perfectly. If you think that your righteousness is by the law, you're going to be cursed if you don't keep it all, every bit of it. Not just the moral law, but the civil law, the ceremonial law. Every one of those laws is in the book of the law. It didn't say just the moral law there. It says that if you don't continue in all things which are written in the book of the law, that's the whole thing. The natural man can't do that. Guess what, though? The spiritual man has done that. The Bible says in 1 John that 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 spirit that is in you, that seed that remains in you, it's perfect and cannot sin. See, that's who we are in Christ Jesus. We're unable to sin. That's why we say trust Christ alone. As your salvation. Look to him for your salvation. Because if you're looking to you for your salvation. Your natural man cannot. Free himself. From the condemnation that comes from the law. You'll never get out from under it. It'll always be there. The curse will be there. And God will. Exact the price. For that sin. Which is death. You will be judged. For that. But the child of grace was judged in Christ Jesus on the cross and will never come into judgment again. All right, we'll stop right there and we'll pick up with this, Lord willing, next Sunday. Uh, and we'll continue to look at some, re- some more reasons on why we need sovereign grace. We need sovereign grace 
because we cannot know God, we cannot understand God, we cannot see the spiritual things of God, we cannot know our own heart, we cannot direct our own walk, we cannot get out from the condemnation of the law. If God doesn't do that for us, then we are doomed. So we need sovereign grace uh, in our life. All right, anybody got any questions? All right, let's pray. Father, we come to you today once again thanking you for Jesus Christ and for salvation. We thank you for the sovereign grace of God, the way that it works in our lives to give us all the things that we have need of. The natural man is truly deficient of everything spiritual, but yet grace has provided everything for that spiritual uh, life. That life comes from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. In him is life. That he has been given power over all flesh to give eternal life to as many as been given to him. And that he uh, will give life in his time. He will give life to those that God has given him. And whenever he gives them that life, they will be given the Spirit of God that is in them to convict them of sin, to convict them of righteousness, to convict them of the things of their own heart, to direct their steps, to change their mind, to cause them to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, to trust in Christ alone. Too much is... uh, uh, been given to man in his free will, to man in his decisions, to man in his ability to work and to choose and to do things, which the Bible is completely opposite of. And so, Father, we pray that today that you might give grace to those who continue to walk in that understanding and that you might grant them repentance to the acknowledgement of the truth that it is only by the grace of God that we can understand and know these things and that they will cease from their will worship, and that they might turn to Christ alone as their only hope. We know that many of these people claim Christ as their only hope, but yet they place salvation in the hands of man by their choosing, by their uh, by their willing, by their uh, coming, by their doing, by their believing. But Lord, we know that salvation is only of God only of Christ who has come and saved his people in an objective finished work that's effectual, that will be carried out, that will be completed in all of his people. So Lord, we come to you saying thank you once again for this day and for the time together that you've given us. And we pray that you've edified your people today for it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.